everyone, and welcome to the September 20th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. Earlier this summer, the California Supreme Court declined to add a third exception to the Prevet rule that protects owners from tort claims by employees of contractors and thus reversed the Court of Appeal in the case of Gonzalez v. Mathis. Now, a month later, it reviewed the rule once again and reversed a multi-million dollar jury verdict against Qualcomm Incorporated. In this new case, Qualcomm planned to upgrade its on-site turbine generators at its San Diego campus. So Qualcomm hired Transpower Testing Incorporated, an electrical engineering service company, to inspect and verify the amperage capacity of its existing switchgear equipment. Transpower's president, Frank Shargi, was a licensed electrical engineer and had worked on that switchgear at least monthly for nearly 20 years. After Mr. Shigari was unable to locate some of the bus bars in the main circuit during one inspection, he hired Jose M. Sandoval, who ended up the injured worker, and Mr. Sandoval is an electrical parts supply and repair specialist with ROS Electrical Supply and Equipment to accompany him at a second inspection. For his second expansion, Qualcomm approved the scope of work and authorized Transpower to inspect the main circuit from the front and back. On the morning of the second inspection, the team attended a safety briefing led by Qualcomm personnel. And the team was reminded that some circuits in the switchgear would remain live during the inspection. During this second inspection, Sandoval walked away from the rest of the Transpower team. He was having trouble judging the size of some of the main bus bars from the front side of the cabinet, and he thought he might be able to get a better view from the back. Sandoval asked a fellow worker to hold a flashlight as they both approached the back side of the cabinets. At the time, Sandoval was holding a metal tape measure, which triggered an arc flash from the live exposed circuit. The 4,160-volt arc flash, thousands of degrees in temperature, had set him aflame and he suffered serious injury. Sandoval then filed suit against Qualcomm, Transpower, and ROS Electrical Supply, asserting claims for negligence and premises liability. Qualcomm unsuccessfully moved for summary judgment on the basis that the Brevet Doctrine should shield it from liability here. The trial court proceeded a trial and a jury awarded Mr. Sandoval over $1 million in past and future medical expenses and $6 million in non-economic damages. It apportioned the fault 46% to Qualcomm 45% to Transpower, and 9% to Mr. Sandoval. The Court of Appeal affirmed, however, and the California Supreme Court reversed the Court of Appeal in the case of Sandoval v. Qualcomm. 
the Supreme Court justices agreed that strong public policy considerations and its past decisions generally support a straightforward presumption about the responsibility of hirers and contractors for work injuries in a situation like this. A person or entity hiring an independent contractor ordinarily delegates to that independent contractor all responsibility for the safety of the contractor's workers. This presumption is rooted in the hirer's reasons for employing contractors in the first place and society's need for clear rules about who's responsible for avoiding harms to workers when contractors are hired. Thus, the Supreme Court concluded that the defendant Qualcomm Incorporated, the hirer in this case, owed no tort duty to Plaintiff Sandoval, the part specialist working for Qualcomm's contractor at the time of his injuries. A federal judge ruled that an advocacy group lacks standing to sue one of the largest restaurant chain companies in the United States for paying tipped workers less than minimum wage. One Fair Wage, a nonprofit focused on eliminating sub-minimum wages, sued Darden Restaurants, which operates national chains like Olive Garden and Lighthorn Steakhouse, in the federal court for the Northern District of California. The group claims the company's pay policies force workers to rely on tips for the bulk of their wages and it sought an injunction to stop Darden from paying sub-minimum wages to tipped workers in 43 states that allow the practice. But the federal judge ruled that one fair wage is not entitled to sue someone else's employer for workplace discrimination. The judge went on to say that the organization did not cite any case law establishing that non-employees here, an advocacy organization, has standing to challenge an employment practice. The alleged injury it contends rendered it aggrieved is either purely ideological or entirely derivative of the injury directly suffered by actual employees. Prior rulings in other district courts were contrary to what this advocacy group was claiming. One fair wages position on standing would mean that any outside group affected by an employer's labor practices could file suit and seek relief that would affect the rights and compensation of a class of potentially thousands of employees. Such a broad standing approach would ignore the protection afforded by requirements of notice, objection rights, and judicial scrutiny of any class settlement. The case was dismissed with prejudice, finding that any attempt to amend the lawsuit would be futile. Back in 2019, Governor Gavin Newsom signed Assembly Bill 51, which effectively outlawed mandatory arbitration agreements with employees, a new version of a bill that prior Governor Jerry Brown had vetoed repeatedly while he was in office. The law allows workers to pursue damages and attorney fees and open criminal cases against employers who discriminate and retaliate against them for declining arbitration contracts. The contentious bill bars employers from requiring 
work applicants to waive their right to sue under state labor laws as a condition of employment. A federal judge enjoined the state of California from enforcing Assembly Bill 51 last year, agreeing with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and other employers that it was preempted by the Federal Arbitration Act, or FAA. In the case of Chamber of Commerce versus Rob Bonta, the Attorney General of the State of California, a Ninth Circuit panel just ruled in a two-to-one decision that the state can require all employment arbitration agreements be consensual and reverse the preliminary injunction. It found that AB 51 does not discriminate against arbitration agreements or nicks their enforcement. But U.S. Circuit Judge Sandra Seagal Aikuta wrote a dissenting opinion. She commenced her dissent by claiming, Like a classic clown bop bag, no matter how many times California is smacked down for violating the Federal Arbitration Act, the state bounces back with even more creative methods to sidestep the FAA. She went on to say that today the majority abets California's attempt to evade the FAA and the Supreme Court's case law by upholding this anti-arbitration law on the pretext that it bars only non-consensual agreements. She said the majority's ruling conflicts with the Supreme Court's clear guidance in the 2017 case of Kindred Nursing Center Limited Partnership versus Clark and creates a circuit split with the First and Fourth Circuit Courts of Appeal. The Chamber of Commerce said it might appeal the decision. The chief counsel for the chamber said in an email, the majority decision is clearly wrong and violates U.S. Supreme Court precedent and runs contrary to decisions of many other courts. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce will pursue further review of what he said was this flawed decision. A lawsuit was just filed by Los Angeles Police Department officers in Los Angeles Federal Court and claims the newly imposed vaccine mandate violates the employee's constitutional rights to privacy and due process and asks the court to provide immediate and permanent relief from the requirement. The six LAPD employees suing included individuals who could not assert a medical or religious exemption to the vaccine requirement, as well as individuals who have experienced and recovered from COVID-19 and thus have natural antibodies to fight the virus. The lawsuit alleges the city's mandate ignores the natural protections provided by such antibodies and claims the suing employees can safely perform their job duties, protecting themselves fellow employees, and the community they serve through non-pharmaceutical interventions such as daily health screenings, wearing masks, and quarantine. The suit also claims the employees have been subjected to harassment and undue pressure to get vaccinated by LAPD leaders, including a captain who said during a roll call meeting that the city was willing to fire thousands of officers if they do not get vaccinated. 
The lawsuit alleges that commanders have called unvaccinated officers unfit for duty and told them that they would be denied promotions and special assignments based on their unvaccinated status. First responders nationwide have been among the more vociferous opponents to mandatory vaccination. Los Angeles firefighter John Knox, who leads a group called Firefighters for Freedom, claims that the vaccine mandate violated members' constitutional rights. A coalition of Oregon police officers and firefighters have sued Governor Kate Brown in Oregon over a COVID-19 vaccine mandate for its state employees. The plaintiffs in the Oregon case including the Oregon, include the Oregon Fraternal Order of Police and the Kingsley Firefighters Association argue that Brown's executive order violates a number of laws and they want it blocked. And now our crime report. 38-year-old Zachary Navo, who lives in Visalia, was arraigned on five felony counts of insurance fraud. After an investigation revealed, he revealed he allegedly underreported wages by over $2.5 million in an attempt to fraudulently reduce his workers' compensation premium payments. Back in 2017, the State Compensation Insurance Fund issued Navo a workers' compensation insurance policy for his private security business, Element Security Solutions, Inc. In 2018, Navo completed a payroll report including indicating he had $80,500 in payroll for the first six months of the policy period. He then failed to submit subsequent payroll information and failed to comply with an end-of-policy audit. A review of the EDD revealed that more more than $2 million in payroll was reported to the EDD for Element Security Solutions Incorporated in comparison to the payroll reported to the state fund. The underreporting resulted in about $135,000 loss in premium owed to SCIF. Investigators also discovered that NAVO is a licensed insurance agent and owns a secondary entity, Navo Financial Incorporated, an insurance and financial solutions business. In that company, Navo reported $504,000 in payroll from 2016 to 2019 for his financial company. However, the investigation found that Navo reported more than a million dollars in payroll to the EDD for Navo Financial, an underreporting of about a half a million dollars in payroll resulting in a loss to a different insurance company. This case is being prosecuted by the Tulare County District Attorney's Office. And in regulatory news, the DWC announced that the 2022 minimum and maximum temporary total disability rates will not change. The minimum TTD will remain $203.44 and the maximum TD rate will remain $1,356.31 a week. The labor code requires the maximum and minimum weekly earnings upon which TTD is based be increased by an amount equal to the percentage increase in the state average weekly wage as compared to the prior year. 
The state average weekly wage is defined as the average weekly wage paid to employees covered by unemployment insurance, as reported by the U.S. Department of Labor for California for the 12 months ending March 31 and the year preceding the injury. During that period, the state average weekly wage actually declined. Thus, there will not be an increase in TTD this year. It is interesting that the Labor Code provides for an increase in rates if the SAWW increases, but no provision for a reduction of rates in the event of a decrease. Workers with a date of injury after 2003 who are receiving life pension or permanent total disability benefits are also entitled to have their weekly rate adjusted. The decline in the state average weekly wage dictates these rates and so they also remain unchanged. The Food and Drug Administrations announced that it had granted full approval for the COVID-19 shots being offered by Pfizer. But to be clear, what was actually given full approval was a separate Pfizer vaccine product, which goes by the name Comirnaty. Comirnaty. But Comirnaty is not currently available anywhere in the United States. A letter to Pfizer Incorporated on the same date as the approval of Comirnaty indicated that the FDA clarified that the Emergency Use Authorization, or EUA, will remain in place for the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine for the previously authorized indication and uses. Footnote 8 on page 2 of that letter said that Comirnaty The licensed vaccine has the same formulation as the EUA-authorized vaccine, and the products can be used interchangeably to provide the vaccination series without presenting any safety or effectiveness concerns. And the FDA letter went on to say that the products are legally distinct with certain differences that do not impact safety or effectiveness. The certain differences, however, are not specified, but it is clear, perfectly clear, that the two products are legally distinct. An analysis by the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons also notes these differences and concludes that it appears that there are two legally distinct, if otherwise mostly identical, products, and that the remaining doses in the U.S., of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine in the country are still under an EUA and are not fully licensed. As of this date, the FDA has not approved the non-Comanati branded vaccine, such as the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines, nor any COVID vaccines for the 12 to 15 year age group, nor any booster doses for anyone. The FDA acknowledges that while Pfizer has insufficient supplies of the newly licensed Comirnaty vaccine actually available, there is a significant amount of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine which has been produced under the emergency use authorization and will be continued to be offered under the same EUA status. These EUA-licensed vaccines have an extraordinary liability shield under the 2005 Public Readiness and Preparedness Act. 
Vaccine manufacturers, distributors, providers, and government planners are immune from liability. The only way an injured party can sue is if he or she can prove willful misconduct and if the U.S. government has also brought an enforcement action against the party for willful misconduct. No such lawsuit has ever succeeded. Pfizer's community vaccine likely does not have that liability protection for Pfizer. The abundant U.S. supply of EUA-authorized Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine product does protect Pfizer. Now the thorny issues. Can an employer mandate that employees take a vaccine that is legally distinct from the approved Cominati product made by Pfizer? And if they do, does that bring any potential side effect related problem with the worker, within the workers' compensation system? And federal regulations provide that no one can, be force, can force a human being to take an EUA-authorized drug. What is also not clear is if the employer's vaccine mandate under the threat of termination interferes with this statutory right. The DWC issued its Notice of Emergency Regulation Readoption of Regulation Sections 46.2 and 36.7 for medical legal evaluations and reporting. The emergency regulations are set to expire on October 12, and readoption would extend these emergency regs for an additional 90 days. This is the DWC's second and final readoption in accordance with the government code. These regulations address how a medical legal evaluation may proceed and provide alternatives for service of required forms for a medical legal evaluation and report. The emergency regulations will be filed with the State Office of Administrative Law and can be found on the DWC's website. Upon approval and filing with the Secretary of State, the regulations are effective for an additional 90 days. A notice will be posted at the DWC's website when the readoption is approved. Job-related deaths are relatively rare in California when compared to other types of workers' compensation claims. In 2019, there were about 750 work-related death claims out of 689,000 work injury claims overall recorded. So death claims compromise about 0.109% of all California claims in the year prior to our pandemic. However, the number of California workers' compensation death claims more than doubled last year as the pandemic resulted in 866 COVID death claims, bringing the total number of job-related death claims for the year to 1,563, up from 749 in 2019. The new California Workers' Compensation Institute analysis also found that despite a sharp drop in work-related COVID cases from January through June of this year, an additional 166 COVID death claims were reported for the first half of 2021 for a total of 1,032 COVID death claims in the first 18 months of the pandemic. 
COVID surpassed transportation incidents as the leading cause of job-related deaths claimed in California. A quarter of all COVID claims have involved workers over age 50, but this age group accounted for 72% of the COVID death claims. In contrast, workers between the ages of 30 and 49 accounted for 48% of all COVID claims, but only 20% of the COVID death claims. Females accounted for 26% of the COVID death claims. The healthcare sector has suffered the heaviest toll during the pandemic, accounting for 30% of all COVID claims and 21% of COVID death claims over the 18-month study period. Regional data shows Los Angeles County accounted for 38% of the COVID death claims. The Delta variant of the coronavirus roared into California midsummer, striking hard even in places where many people were vaccinated. But after a season in which the highly transmissible variant wreaked havoc on the nation, the Washington Post reports that California is reporting sustained progress against the Delta variant. And this is also good news for workers' compensation claims in the state. Earlier this week, California dropped from high to substantial virus spread, according to the CDC and Prevention. Total new cases per 100,000 residents are still lower than any other state. Experts said an aggressive push for vaccines, coupled with mask mandates, at the local level and a public largely willing to go along with them, appear to have helped flatten the state's curve. But the fight against Delta is far from over in the Golden State, which still faces a host of challenges in containing cases. Though infections have dropped in California's population hubs in recent weeks, they remain high in parts of the Central Valley and rural north. An influx of patients has overwhelmed some intensive care units in those regions. Compounding the problem, California's hospitals are facing staffing shortages. Medical workers have struggled with burnout, and surges in other states have created intense competition for nurses. Statewide, infections are still far higher than they were early in the summer, averaging about 9,300 new cases per day, compared with 758 in July but they're down from a summer peak of about 14,400 per day on average. Hospitalizations have fallen statewide by about 10% over the past week. Positivity rates have also dropped recently at a time when the state is administering more tests than at almost any point in the pandemic, another indicator that the spread is slowing. Recent reports show California had 24 cases per 100,000 residents, less than half as many as Florida, with 55 per capita, and Texas with 59. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcast and special report using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. 
And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.